We have finally made it to the end of the road, my friends. I know this may seem like a dream. It may seem too good to be true. I don't know exactly how long we have been going through this wonderful letter that Paul wrote to the Ephesians, but it has to have been at least five, six months. But we have made it to the end of Ephesians. We're going to be closing up in Ephesians 6 today. And that not only means that we're finishing up in Ephesians, but it also means that we need to start learning and talking and discovering about other things in Scripture. And I have many different things that I'd be excited to go through in various books and topics. But I want to ask you guys if you have any requests, if you have any uh, books of the Bible, if you have any topics in Scripture, if you have any questions or themes or anything that you want me to go ahead and discuss, uh, go ahead and let me know. Uh, you can find all the links to my social medias, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or my email where you can reach out to me. You can find it all in the link.bio link in the description, whether you're listening on a podcast or on YouTube. Uh, go ahead and do that because now is the time. Because um, Once I get started up in another series, I'm going to be going full-fledged. I kind of want to go into the Gospel of John. I I have got a couple of incredible books that have taught me so much. The only thing is, is that if I get into the Gospel of John, we're talking a solid maybe year and a half. Well, maybe not a year and a half, but about a year that we're going to be in the Gospel of John. I'm not even kidding. The, the, the density and the things that need to be unpacked just in the first chapter alone and all of the allusions to Genesis 1 and the creation narrative just in the first chapter of John um, will take many, many episodes to fully flesh out and to do justice to the work that is the Gospel of John. But I think I may get into that. But before we dive into that, if you have any suggestions or requests, uh, let me know. Reach out to me and I would love to to look into that and to go over that. Uh, but anyway, let's hop into this. Ephesians chapter 6, we are starting in verse 18 and going all the way through. And before we read the passage, uh, I just want to remind y'all of something that you may have already known. I I've talked about this in the past, but it is crucial for understanding the gravity of what Paul says, not just in these final verses, but in every single writing in Scripture. Because to approach any passage in the Bible, we need to first understand the context in the audience that is in picture. The reason why is so that we can fully understand the reason for what is being written, and so we can understand how to properly apply such things to ourselves today. There are, are many believers who will say that, you know, we can just take and apply every single word of Scripture as it is literally read, no questions asked. However, we inherently understand that not to be the case, and we don't actually do that in practice. For instance, when you look at something like John chapter 10, verse 9, Jesus says, I am the door. Well, we don't take that literally. We, we don't think that Jesus is saying that he is a plank of wood that we can physically open and close. We understand the specific context behind what he is saying and that he is speaking metaphorically. Some other more controversial passages uh, in Scripture, like 1 Timothy 2, where Paul says that 
uh, he does not allow a woman to teach or exercise authority over a man. Oftentimes, people will say, just take it literally and apply it literally. Well, what do you mean by literally? Because if we're taking it literally, then Paul's saying that a woman can never teach a man anything in any context, no matter what. She can't teach him how to cook. She can't teach him what the directions are to his favorite restaurant, nothing. But in practice, nobody actually practices this in the most literal sense. They always place boundaries that aren't actually found in Scripture, therefore meaning they add additional context and and various things. And so we understand that we can't take Scripture 100% literally, pull it out of context, and just apply it because we're going to miss out on the purpose of that text. We see this in other areas like certain cultural practices. For instance, in 2 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 11, Paul says this as he is ending his, his letter to the Corinthians. He says, Finally, brothers, rejoice, aim for restoration, comfort one another, agree with one another, live in peace, and, for, and the God of love and peace will be with you. Greet one another with a holy kiss. Paul here says plainly, to aim for restoration, to comfort one another, to live in peace, etc. And we fully accept and want to apply that in the most literal and broad sense. But he also says to greet one another with a holy kiss. But I don't see those who say that we have to apply every word of the Bible literally. I don't see them greeting fellow believers with a holy kiss when they come over for dinner parties or meet in their, their weekly church gatherings. And ultimately, my point is, is that Scripture was written in a specific context to specific people who had certain understandings and various ways of doing things. So we need to keep that in mind as we approach these texts. And one of my biggest pet peeves is listening to sermons where they pull a passage out of Scripture to just illustrate a completely different point that they're trying to make instead of just diving into the scripture itself to teach on what that passage means and what it meant to the original audience. Now, there is certainly a time and a place to take a a generic principle from scripture to apply to our own personal situations. I'm not saying you can't do that, but a, a, a good reason why the church has largely got into the issues that it has when it comes to our faulty theology and our faulty understanding of how to read and interpret scripture is that many of our churches today have been teaching people that the Bible is a self-help book instead of a, a, a piece of literature that actually has an objective meaning to the people that it was written to. So I know I got off on a little tangent, but I wanted to emphasize all of this because the verses that we're looking at today Paul's wrapping up Ephesians 6. These verses have applications for our own personal lives, right? But we can't fully understand how they have an importance in our personal life until we understand the implications that Paul's words had for the original audience that he's writing to 2,000 years ago. So let's go ahead and, and read this passage. And we're, we're not just going to look at how can these verses apply to me because it's very easy to do. But we're going to look at what did this mean for the people that Paul's writing to? How does this actually affect their situation and the persecution that they're facing? So let's hop into this. 
Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, all the way down to verse 24. Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly, as I ought to speak. So that you also may know how I am and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are, and that he may encourage your hearts. Peace be to the brothers in love with faith. From God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ, grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible. All right, so like we always do, let's break this down verse by verse. Once again, verse 18, Paul says, Praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication, to that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints. So Paul just got done right before verse 18. He got done telling the believers that they can put on the armor of God. It's this huge crescendo to this this whole letter of unity and stepping away from darkness and putting on your new self and, and fighting the, the spiritual evils. It's this culmination. It's this big, glorious moment that Paul says you can put on the armor of God. It's the very armor that Jesus the Messiah wears that we can now take part in since we as a community are collectively the body of Christ. And the last part of the Messiah's armor that we're told in in verse 17 is the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. So the the Word of God, we're told, is the believer's sword. It's the believer's method of battle against the spiritual forces of darkness that we face. And Paul takes this and continues to encourage the people that he's writing to, to take up this sword of the Spirit, the Word of God, the words that come out of their mouth, and pray constantly in the Spirit. And what good is it for believers to have this weapon, right? The the sword of the Spirit. What good is it for them to have this weapon to wield against the enemy if they never wield it? And so Paul understands this, and so he urges them to use it. He says, pray at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. Pray at all times in the Spirit, the sword of the Spirit that is the Word of God, that we're told in Isaiah is the the sword that comes from the mouth of the Messiah. Paul says, guys, because of Jesus, yeah, you have all this great armor, and that's awesome, but you also have a sword. You have a means to be proactive in the battle against evil, in these, the spiritual evil that is attacking you. So Paul says, use it. Pray. Pray at all times in the spirit that gives you the sword. And this is really interesting because we, we have noted in previous episodes that Paul's audience is living in a time where Christianity was new. It wasn't something that was established in a part of a culture and popular and at at the very least uh, acceptable. It was new. It was countercultural. It was seen as dangerous to the Greco-Roman way of life. 
And Paul just got done in his letter calling out the sinful, dark ways of this world, along with completely subverting the household code and family structures of the, the, of the culture that he's living in. And you better believe they would have understood that following Jesus would lead to their very real and very scary persecution. I mean, Paul tells us in this letter alone that he's sitting in jail while he's writing this letter. And it's not because, you know, he stole something or uh, he assaulted somebody. No, no, no. It's because he did something as simple as share the gospel. And he's thrown in jail because of it. So the community, the culture that these new believers are living in is very hostile to the fact that they believe in Jesus. And they understood that. And throughout all of this, throughout all these trials that they face, Paul reminds them that the way that they fight their battles against the demonic forces of evil is not with physical violence or nasty words. But Paul reminds them that their way of fighting is by praying in the Spirit, in utilizing the Word of God, which we are told is the sword that we are now able to wield as a body of Christ. It, it's praying, praying, giving our request and thanks to the Messiah Jesus and leaning on him to ultimately fight these battles for us. When, when, when these people are praying at all times, as Paul tells them to, they're praying to God that he will be the one to bring about justice and to fight their battles for them. And this is the response that Paul wants these believers to have. And now, this should enlighten our view of prayer. Because Paul expects them to pray at all times. There is no time when prayer is not a good idea. I mean, think about it in their context. These people, these are people who are seeing their brothers and sisters and in mothers and fathers and friends be tortured and killed simply for saying, Jesus died for our sins and rose from the dead and you should repent from your evil ways. Yet the expectation for them being tortured and killed is not to fight back physically or to, to cause some sort of resurgence against the government. What they're expected to do is to pray. The expectation is to pray. And not just, you know, when you wake up or when you go to bed, but to pray as often as you possibly can. Because that is our weapon as believers. The sword of the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit. And he calls on them to continue to be alert. To not let their guard down because, after all, they are in a spiritual battle. And what's interesting is he also calls on them to pray for all the other saints. To pray for all the other believers, all the other followers of Christ. He wants their prayer to not just be an individual petition for their own sakes. He wants their prayer to be a petition for the sake of others. And why, why is this important to them? What importance would this have? Well, Paul has made it very clear in this letter that the body of Christ encompasses 
all of the believers working together as a unified whole. So when you pray, he wants them to pray for the uplifting and growth of their fellow believers because if each of us individually is just a part of the body of Christ. Well, Paul's already made it very clear in this letter that we need every part of the body of Christ to be working together as a unified whole so that we can enact God's will on this earth and be a light to those around us. And so now that we understand the context with which they're in and the reason why Paul is saying this to these specific people, What can we glean from this? Well, we can glean a few things. One, pray at all times. Pray at all times. And why? Is it just for our own individual edification and uplifting? I mean, that's certainly a benefit of it, and that's certainly something we can pray for. But we're supposed to pray at all times because when we pray in the Spirit, we are utilizing the sword of the Spirit that the Messiah has given us. And since we understand that not only were they in a spiritual battle against the evil and demonic forces of the, of the world 2,000 years ago, but we understand that we are in a spiritual battle against the evil and demonic forces. And so if that's the case, our, our weapon, our method of fighting back is using the sword of the Spirit and praying from the words of our mouth, praying to the Messiah who is able to enact justice and to bring about a change. So we can glean the fact that we need to pray more, far more. I, I, I need to do it. You need to do it. Paul says pray at all times. There is, there is not a time with which prayer is a bad idea. So we're supposed to pray more. What else? We're supposed to pray for others, for other believers. We're supposed to pray for the saints. This was most certainly the case in their time when the saints were getting taken from their homes and tortured and beaten, mocked, and killed for their belief. But just because not all of us are being tortured and killed for our beliefs, it doesn't mean that each and every one of our fellow brothers and sisters in Christ don't need prayer and don't need uplifting. And don't need God's presence and peace upon their life. We're in this as a whole. When we see the word you in English in our scripture, more often than not, the you means y'all. It's a plural. Christianity is a religion of community. It's not individualistic. So Paul tells them to pray and to pray at all times and to pray for each other because you can't do this on your own. You're not meant to do this on your own. You got to pray for each other. But let's go on to verse 19 through 20. So Paul just got done saying, hey, pray for your fellow saints. And he says in verse 19, and also pray for me that my words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to to proclaim the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Now, now, this is funny to me. It, it seems crazy and, and a little on the side of, of Paul being a maniac because Paul asks for prayer to help him know what words to say 
so he can continue to spread the gospel, which in terms of a self-preservation tactic is absolutely nuts since proclaiming the gospel is what got him in jail in the first place. (laughs) But this is what is so profound about his faith and his desire to follow Jesus, is that his prayer is that he can be even better at doing the thing that got him thrown in jail. Isn't that so many of us today are are so afraid to say the truth and to uphold morality, biblical morality, and uphold the truth of God in Scripture because we're afraid of making someone upset or hurting someone's feelings or making someone feel like we don't approve of their lifestyle. And Paul's sitting here saying, Look, guys, I'm in jail because. I am just telling people who are lost and in the dark that Jesus is God and he died and rose and ascended and that the only way to salvation is through him. Paul's like, I'm in jail because I'm telling them the truth. And most of us, if we were thrown in jail because we proclaimed the gospel and we were told that we could get let out and go see our families again or else we're going to be in jail for life, we would say, okay, yeah, maybe I was wrong, guys. Maybe I was wrong about Jesus. Can I go back home to my family and to my comfort? But Paul said, look, y'all, I need you to pray for me. Not necessarily pray for me that I can get out of this jail cell, but pray for me that, look, I'm in here, but help me to get even better at preaching the gospel. Help me get even better at doing the very thing that got me thrown in jail in the first place. What Paul understands that so often in our culture today, we do not, or we're too scared to understand, is that the truth will cause those in the darkness to persecute you and silence you. But Paul understands that the truth is the only thing that can set them free, and he cares more about sharing the gospel with those in the dark, even if it means that those very people are throwing him in jail. He cares more about telling them the truth than preserving his own comfort and reputation. That's the context for Paul. What's the context for us? The context for us is that far too many of us prefer comfort and and adoration from those around us. We prefer that more than we prefer telling them the truth about Jesus. Because we know that if we do, they will get mad at us. They will not like us. It may cost you your job. It may cost you friends and family. And you care more about preserving your, your own self and your own comfort and your own friendships and people being happy with you, even if it means that People in the darkness continue to stay in the darkness and miss out on the light. And Paul's not worried about that. And I'm not saying this in a way of saying that everyone else needs to get better because, look, when I do these studies, y'all, I'll go through these studies. I'll read verses I've read many, many times. And when I go through on a deeper study and I'm just thinking about one or two verses over and over and over, I start to learn that. I'm failing in the same way. I'm not sitting here putting my own peace and comfort 
on the line to share the truth to those who are very clearly in the darkness. And that's something I need to improve as well. But but Paul has no problem. He's in jail. <laughs> He's saying, guys, pray for me that God can give me words to help me be even better at getting thrown in jail the next time. And I think that's something that we all really need to reflect on and think about and and make a change. The, the truth is far more important than any of ours comfort or peace or, or friendships that are with people who are walking in darkness. On to verse 21. We're going to go ahead and end it out here. Verse 21 through 22. He says, so that you also may know how I am doing and what I am doing. Tychicus, the beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will tell you everything. I have sent him to you for this very purpose, that you may know how we are and that we may encourage your hearts. This part of the passage is pretty self-forward. This is just Paul giving uh, a final farewell to the end of his letter. He's letting him know that they're going to get this letter from Tychicus. He is delivering this letter since Paul is in jail. And Tychicus is going to fill them in on the things that they need to know. Uh, I got a few little quotes here from gotquestions.org regarding Tychicus. Uh, for those who may have never heard about him or wonder, I wonder if Tychicus is somewhere else in, in Scripture. And they say this, quote, We first meet Tychicus in Acts 20, verse 4, during Paul's third missionary journey. He is mentioned as one of Paul's companions on the way from Corinth to Jerusalem to deliver a gift to the church there. We learn that Tychicus was a native of Asia, or what we would call Asia Minor today. Tychicus is called a, quote, dear brother of Paul's and a, quote, faithful servant of the Lord's in Ephesians 6, 21. And in Colossians 4, verse 7, Tychicus is a faithful minister and fellow servant who was with Paul during his first Roman imprisonment. He was entrusted to deliver Paul's epistles to the Ephesians and Colossians and to bring news of the apostle to those congregations. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about your circumstances and that he may encourage your hearts. And this is what Paul says in Colossians chapter 4, verse 7 through 8. So there's a little rundown on Tychicus for any of those who were either confused or interested on who he is and what he did for the ministry. Uh, but with that, man, we're done with Ephesians 6. We're done with Ephesians as a whole. I hope y'all really enjoyed uh, going through this with me, through all of Ephesians. It was a long ride. I learned so much. I absolutely love this this book of the Bible. And uh, yeah, send me your, your suggestions, any suggestions for what you want to cover next. Um, but after that, I'm going to probably be hopping into the Gospel of John, unless there's something else that pops up. But anyway, I will catch y'all next week.